Thank you, Marco. That's absolutely fascinating. Uh, my question refers back to where you were talking about um, artificial intelligence being a better, maybe a better diagnostic tool. Mm -hmm. So, isn't it ethical to use artificial intelligence rather than a doctor or a cab driver? And I would say not necessarily, um, because I think our world is changing so rapidly because people are being denied an aspect of their humanity, which is to earn a living, to work, to feel valued, um, to contribute. And, you know, that's an important part to, we need to reconfigure it um, in the interests of humanity, because I, I think there's a lot of suffering in the world now. There's been a lot of good from computerization and I guess the coming of artificial intelligence, but there's a huge, there's huge issues about human beings. And, you know, I think there's an area of development where they would, maybe some developers of artificial intelligence would like to replace human beings. And that's hugely worrying for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I, I put up these questions and they were questions and they were a little bit provocative questions in the sense is, if we value our health system in this way, then it, it, there are reasons that people would say, of course, we need to, we have a better system that diagnoses better, we should use it, right? The thing is that um, uh, what sort of knowledge is this system using? Informational knowledge, which is only part of it. We all know that uh, a physician can know a lot about the human body and about our problems that we have, but then we ourselves have a knowledge of our body that no physician, no scientist, and nobody would have because we are living and, and we are part of it and uh, we have this direct experience, which is not informational knowledge. So if our healthcare system is based around diagnosis systems which only use informational knowledge and so on and so on, then this other knowledge or this other not knowledge or unknowledge is not in the picture. And then we have only half of it again in the in the healthcare system. So how how should we as societies and I don't know, but we should how should we look at uh, illness and care and healthcare and all these issues in a way that has room for everything and that we can use the tool for this informational work but we also have we use the knowledge that the physician has and, and patient has and, and so on to, to make a more holistic approach to this. This is what I say, what I mean when I went to the question I was obviously this only in this information sense but but, uh, so I think the problem is that how, how we are, how are we making our societies so that we can gain from, from this, but at the same time we don't lose the other. You see, these other aspects of a doctor's skills, um, the empathy and mm -hmm. all the other things, are often now described as soft skills, mm -hmm. as if they're not as good as mm -hmm. hard skills, the diagnosis, etc. 
There seems yeah. to be these kind of divisions in terms of different areas of knowledge, different intelligences, really. And then there's another, another problem is, now these diagnosis systems, they are based on a technique that is called machine learning and is now very, very popular and very powerful. They are, they are using this notion of big data where we have lots of data of other diagnoses that have been done and they learn with this data and then you have a new diagnostic system that has learned of all these previous data. Now this previous data is diagnosis done by humans, human expertise that is now uh, put into a computer system that improves this, okay, because we have this expertise. But now imagine that from now on we get rid of the humans and now the computers continue doing the diagnosis. Then the whole other diagnosis that will come in the future will be computer generated. And then the computers learn from the computer generated diagnosis. And the human, experience, uh, the human expert uh, is not there anymore. And this human experience that has this other dimension that, that was not informational, that led to, to this data, is lost. And, and, and even the expertise might be lost. If the physician does not practice diagnosis anymore, he will lose the capacity to do that. And uh, so these are issues that we need to think that, that these artificial intelligence systems are based on human knowledge, but if we get the human out of the loop, then we lose that as well. So. Thank you for that. Um, my question is around mistakes. How does artificial intelligence handle mistakes um, in relation to the human experience where mistakes are so fundamental to learning and to growth? Um, and the second question I have, if I can, while I've got the mic, is around Sheldrake's theory of morphic resonance. Um, can machines have morphic resonance? <laughs> With respect to the first question, um, well, the, 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 the way machines learn is uh, it's an information-based kind of learning, in the sense that uh, there is a technique called reinforcement learning, which learns from the successes and from the mistakes, so things that they, they take a decision, if this thing goes wrong, it's a mistake. They and then it, uh, a feedback loop changes the way they have the system does the decision making, so that it, with time, does better and better and better um, decisions and less and less and less mistakes. But the question is, how do you value? How do you measure this? success and these mistakes. Because again, we are in this system where we have a utility function or a performance measure where we look how good it performs with respect to this measure. If it, if it, if it, if it is a bad performance, then it learns to improve with respect to this, to this measure. But then we, have, we need to have this measure in the first place. And this measure in the first place is again based on an idea that we can have a measure, that we can value what is good, better, or not, and that we can have a, a quality that can be, can be compared, and so on. 
So when we stay in this framework, all these notions of uh, mistake, learning, uh, improving, and things are perfectly clear to describe, but they are in this framework. If we want to have a more richer understanding of mistake or of, of quality, then, then we are out of this model. And then we need to think about, about it differently. But within the framework of this rational actor model, it is very clear also, and very precise and very narrow, what these notions of learning are. With respect to the morphic resonance question, unfortunately, I'm not familiar with Sheldrake's uh, theory, so I cannot answer that. I'm sorry. Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate with you. I'm uh, really surprised to see how much breath there is in your thinking and how many things you connected. So congratulations. And I'm also a scientist and I, I really appreciate, I mean, I think I can appreciate what the amount of work which is behind this. So something that proved very useful to me at least was what you said about uh, the ethical way. At a certain point you said if AI does something better than us, then it's even ethical for us to choose AI this was our own judgment. And that was an eye-opener. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's very true. At the same time, I had a feeling that something was, was missing there. And by, in thinking about it, I thought about something else to a second question. But is that also making us better human beings? It's not just that we solve problems. It's not just uh, maximizing utility. It's not just... Uh, taking better decisions, but is all of this making us better human beings at the end of the day? What kind of life do we want for us? Mm. I mean, we, we, we usually uh, picture AI as a replacement for, for human beings, but, but why? why? Why did we get to, to this issue of replacing human beings? If you think about other technologies, think about bikes or motorbikes, I mean, or cars, they, they are tools. I mean, technologies are tools for us. So I think we should recuperate this, just put some perspective into this, and, you know, just uh, even, even pragmatically, do we, do we want this? Uh, yes, this application, yes, under these conditions, is the, you know, it's very reasonable that, that we pick it. But then under other conditions, we don't want to replace uh, old cars with self-driving cars because I don't want to, you know, uh, lose the freedom of, you know, driving, uh, you know, so the, there's space for, you know, I think AI has to find space. It's, you know, it has to return to be a tool for us and not just some, you know, something very big that it's even, you know, beyond our grasp. I don't know if, if, I, if I was clear this. There's some simplicity behind it. Probably yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, that's what I wanted to say. We have to place AI research in this more uh, journey of inquiry and spiritual growth that makes us more free in this sense. And uh, obviously, for example, with, this, with the, with the self-driving cars, now there's a lot of research going into the self-driving cars and so on. 
we should also make the question, do we want everyone to drive cars, even if they are self-driving cars? Uh, what impact does it have this, the construction of so, so many cars, roads, and, and so on? We have followed this path. Maybe we should make more collective public transportation instead of, of cars, and more and more and more stay in the same system that we have only we automize it and uh, why why should we so so these questions have to be think framed in this more broader picture or conflict resolution for example how do we solve conflict resolutions between states and things usually it's by uh, the force of violence and armies and so on now uh, i remember being at the at the Arlington Cemetery in Washington, seeing the change of guards of these soldiers there. And it was so perfect, the change of guards, so mechanical, so roboticized, that uh, if a soldier is this, if somebody who has to solve resolution has to be something very robotical, machines will do it much better. And then we will solve our, we will go with armies of robots into there and they will choose the right target and so on, obviously. But do we solve this? Is this the, pro, the, the method to solve problems? Shouldn't we look at a, another more richer way for conflict resolution? No. Or, 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 or and now there's a whole field of sex robots or sex uh, robots. Obviously, you can think it will be, it's a good thing because then all the, all the exploitment of uh, women in sexual industry, you can, get, you can free them and now only robots do it. But is this how we want to approach sexuality? Or, no, is it that the way to take the model of domination and just put it on the machines that we have a perfect machine that, that satisfies all our sexual desires? Um, is that the model that we want? So obviously, if we stay, we need this more frame, the research in this more richer framework to see where we have to head, where we have to go. So, so that's the question I think that you were placing, right? Why should we, I don't know. Just that provoked um, your, your question around peace building. Um, it seems to me that it's not either or, but it's both. <laughs> and there is still the human in the center of the choice. Because for, I work in peace building, and, and what you're seeing now is using this technology in some amazing ways to create virtual reality, um, where there is a real experience of the other, which changes one's notion of the other. Um, so the potential for that is huge. The potential to, to bring and be much more inclusive in peace building because of technology um, is also huge. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's the paradox, isn't it, that you described. We have both. <laughs> and, how, and our choice is still how do we use it? And how do we choose to use it? Yes, I, I completely agree. I'm not against the scientific development. I mean, that's my work. I, devote hours and hours in that and developing uh, new technology. The thing is that exactly how do we how do we integrate that in our more spiritual world? And, uh, 
and I'm sure that technology can be very useful for um, self-driving cars will be very useful for elderly. I, I hope that when I will be old and I cannot drive anymore, that I will have an auto, uh, a self-driving car that drives me around and I don't depend on my children or whatsoever. So, so, so that this that will be positive. But the other thing is, um, how, let's just use it where it will be really liberating and providing us more freedom and. Let's be careful not to curtail our freedom because we mechanize, we robot, uh, make more, we mechanize or we computerize or we algorithmic, make all our lives more algorithmic. That is, the, I think, the data that we adapt to the machines and not use the technology for human flourishing. There's a lot of research, for example, in brains. There's a lot of research in, um, in simulating brains. People think that it's just a matter of time and computational power that you can computationally simulate all the neural structure of the brain and then you will have a simulated human brain with the whole uh, power and uh, capacities of this brain. But then, uh, this again, this computational metaphor, but in the brain is a living tissue and it is uh, there's a lot of things going on in the cells and they are living uh, and then they are it's not just a connection of neurons that fire uh, and don't fire and send impulses electrical impulses there are glial cells which on top of that structure uh, govern all these uh, uh, functioning of the brain so 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 you will end up to simulate not only the neurons, but also how the, how the cells work. And then if you go deeper in, you will have to uh, simulate the molecular structure. And then you have to go, and at the end, it will be so, so, so complex that uh, computationally, the computational algorithmic metaphor breaks down, I think. But, um, so I, I don't think you can see our living organism as I think it should be, should be said that mathematical algorithms work far more consistently than food recipes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that um, scientific inquiry has a spiritual nature to it. And I think this is becoming more substantiated by, well, I think starting from Teilhard de Chardin, but current writing theologians today who are using the best thinking you know, physical science are also seeing that part of inquiry, scientific inquiry, and the key or the interface is grace. Not in the sense of our traditional sort of almost a quantity that you can pour in or drain out of a soul, ex opere operato in sacramental theology, but as an identification with and a natural participation in the nature of the creator or God, as that being grace. And that was revealed to us eloquently through the incarnation. And so the incarnation is, is taking 
far more prominent place in current theology uh, than original sin, certainly. Yeah, when I was saying that um, that the scientific inquiry is um, has this spiritual and contemplative core, um, I was referring to to, to the, this inquiry itself, which is uh, which has these um, these values of uh, awe and wonder and uh, silence. They are very contemplative. And I think current scientific research, what is happening is that it is somehow the, 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 the professional practice somehow pushing you away that everything. So, so, so PhD students start with a passion for their work and then they end up fed up by the scientific system which tries to take out all of this and just be a, a, a machine producing papers to, to exaggerate. But somehow to, to recover this contemplative, this contemplative dimension of the, of the research itself, something that is, I think, very relevant. So uh, my question goes back to who, uh, who this really benefits what artificial intelligence really benefits, and really what any new technology, who it benefits. I'm thinking of, you know, when television first came around, it was supposed to be the great equalizer, bringing information in, right into people's homes and um, having a shared kind of experience that everyone could experience from anywhere in the world. And then, you know, now we see, as, as Chomsky calls it, it's manufactured consent on a grand scale, you know, and, um, and then with the internet, uh, again, the same thing. We're supposed to bring all this information to people, and now that fight is still continuing. And we're seeing, you know, is net neutrality going to be existent, and all these things. Um, and you know, granted, I think the question of the singularity, which I think has been implicit in all of this conversation, is a is a big concern. But I'm, my question is, I'm wondering if <clears throat> the more pressing concern is does artificial intelligence just benefit the existing power structures now? Mm -hmm. um, currently, I mean, you, you mentioned the example of police forces using artificial intelligence and just uh, exacerbating racial tensions that already were existing. Um, so no, just, just your thoughts on, on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I don't think the, 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 this, the singularity, singularity is by some thinkers, they, they call it the moment in which computers will be more intelligent than humans. I think it's not, uh, big, it's not the big problem. And, and that's what I wanted to explain in this talk. But more this other thing, mm -hmm. how, how, we of society, like, how, how, how are we structuring our societies? And uh, that can make these problems of, of, uh, of Giving, of not solving the, the power distribution, but even making it worse, right? And uh, these are the things that, that are really a danger of this technology and of other technology of scientific advancements, if we are not careful with how, how it is deployed. And um, 
And uh, so on one side it can be very helpful and it, can, it has had to, to trigger democratic revolutions and all kinds of things. But on the other hand, it can also give a lot of control to those that already have. Talking about, um, well, somebody this morning I think was talking about <clears throat> Eastern and Western um, minds and the different ways in which we perceive reality. Is there a big difference in <clears throat> in this uh, in the technological scientific consciousness? I mean, is the whole of scientific research a Westernized, a uh, Western thing now? Anyway. Um, the other, which I'd like you to go back to that, if you could, a little bit, and also to look at, to comment on the idea of culture, because we were talking about how consciousness is conditioned by personal experience, but it's also very much conditioned by culture, which is a system of symbols and, and language and uh, metaphors. Um, underlying them all, we would say, I think, is, is a, a common experience, contemplative experience, or contemplative vision, or perception of reality, uh, which is universal, makes us human. But there is that experience, as soon as it begins to be shared, or commented on, or, or applied in some way, uh, becomes embodied, not only in an individual, so you have many different mystical mystics, uh, like Raymond Lull, you know, very different from uh, A Cloud of Unknowing or others. So you have the, the particular individual embodied that experience through countless individuals, but it's also, it will always be embodied in a culture, whether it's Buddhism or Taoism or, <laughs> or Christianity. Um, is, and, and, and of course we're always going to be trying to translate them or to relate them to each other in some way. Could you comment on that? So I, what I, the way I see it is, uh, so, so obviously this, the, the scientific and technological development is very much driven by these Western Western metaphors or cultural structure, and um, as I said, I think the the, the, the chaotic inquiry or this other part of inquiry has will have to draw from all from all <coughs> the wisdom that we can from the wisdom traditions, east, west, and uh, from all the ways the, it has been embodied in individuals and in in communities. I don't know if they can be in, so the way they have to be integrated will be probably depend on, on, the, on the individuals and communities themselves that will have to do that. Uh, I think that's, 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 that's one of the important things that I think is irrelevant for, for, for the future of our societies is that we cannot anymore leave the scientific and chaotic inquiry 
to particular individuals or particular groups, but it will be have something that the whole human family will have to do, and will have to and we will have to value different ways of doing it as well. I don't think there will be one way to pursue. So so we will have to be able to 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 harmonize all these different cultures and ways and value systems and to integrate them in the advancements of, of our humanity, I think. But that's, that's the challenge. And to be able to do that, I think, that's where the contemplation, I think, is very relevant because it allows us to, to be linked to one cultural system or one way of expressing things, but to be able to to see the wisdom in, in all, all of these traditions. So, so I guess like the, the, the challenge is to, to integrate that in it with our scientific inquiry as well. I don't know. Yeah. Getting back to the issue of uh, the relationship between technology and society, which is also the relationship between science and society to mm -hmm. some extent, one might argue that it takes a lot of intelligence to devise scientific knowledge, uh, a lot of intelligence to arrive to an artificial intelligence, but then in order to use it uh, for us, it takes uh, compassion, it takes uh, consciousness, it takes uh, big art. So, I think that could be a point of encounter. Mm -hmm. The recognition that uh, science does its part and cannot do it all. And if you want to force science uh, or technology on society, then you are forcing it. It's, it's somehow uh, disrespectful towards society to want to wanna force it. Because if, if you think about it, it's not just the inherent properties of technology that make it good or bad for society is the way it gets introduced into society. Mm -hmm. The speed, for example, the fact that, for example, artificial intelligence is, is speeding up. Uh, it's probably too fast. It, it's proving disruptive, especially because of its speed, not because of inherent properties, because mm -hmm. it's displacing too many people out of work and there's no time for them to get re-educated. So the issue, again, of not just caring about what we are doing, but then how we propose this to the rest of the world uh, become, becomes crucial for, for the end results we get. Um, and, and to me, that speaks of the need for scientists to, to engage more with society, to get out there to understand what the impact on the ground of, you know, that their technologies will bring, because sometimes Within academia, I have the feeling that there's not much awareness of what it means. Uh, I mean, we, we know very well what we are doing, but and then we think it's good for everybody else, but the reality is that in wanting to force our technologies, our inventions, our knowledge uh, to, in, in a very fast way, and, and we, we create a lot of damage. And so it's probably an issue of, of speed as well. It's, not just uh, uh, what we are doing, it's how we, we then handle it. Uh, I don't know if you, if you agree, I don't know. And also the other way around. It's, 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 we, all of us 
have to be critics of what science does. Not only the scientists have to be know, uh, know what they do for society, but all of us need to voice our criticism about what we do with, with, with this scientific advancement. Because, for example, um, I mean, again, to the self-driving cars, it, it may, we may to think what impact does this have I mean, maybe we reduce a lot of um, accidents and <coughs> big lorries now are driven automatically. We can see it as very positive because we don't have these uh, bus uh, lorry drivers doing kilometers and kilometers and kilometers uh, and, uh, and being tired, having accidents or being away from their families and so on. But on the same time, there is... A, we have to think what impact has it on society that suddenly all these people don't drive anymore. And um, so there's a certain of social sustainability that needs to be taken into account. It's not only an environmental sustainability, uh, also a social sustainability of how we as societies um, adapt to that. And I think that this is um, a little bit what, what we need to take everything in account and for this I think uh, we need to have this more spiritual dimension this worked out but not only not only scientists not only monks but uh, all of us my question is very simple and not difficult I mean are you an optimist or a pessimist you know <laughs> These are opposites, uh, dualities. Uh, <laughs> we have to transcend the idea of uh, pessimism and optimism. No, I, 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 I think that uh, when we face the problems, we will try to solve them. And I think there, there are many voices successful. that there are many voices that have this integral view and uh, that uh, push forward to these kind of uh, directions. I mean, I. I I was very pleased to know, for example, that in the, in, in the States, in the United States, there has been for many years uh, an association, which is called the Association for Contemplative Mind in Society, uh, and then they, they further contemplative practices in higher education. I mean, it's wonderful that future scientists or future economists or whatsoever are trained not only in being good in the lab, but also in their contemplative practices to that. Yeah. And the existence of these things, for me, are very positive, because yeah. they are a sign that we are thinking in that direction. Yeah, so you can see quite a lot of positive things happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so for me it's a sign that, that, um, that we as humanity, we see that we have to approach that in, in this way. You know.